When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to Martyrs and Missionaries. I'm Elise, and every episode I'll bring you a new martyr and or missionary, the called and the brave. In this episode, we're going to talk about the Apostle to Ireland, St. Patrick. Every year, the Irish Prime Minister gives the American President a crystal bowl of shamrocks to celebrate the Irish heritage of America. Every year, we celebrate St. Patrick's Day by wearing green, throwing giant parades, all sorts of things. But do we really know who he was? And there are so many myths and legends about him, it's hard to get his actual story. And while I was doing research for this episode, I came across so many strange, mystical, fantastical stories about him. And I want to share two of them with you that I think just perfectly encapsulate this kind of mythical person that we think about when we think about Patrick. The first story I came across is about these two brothers whose father had just died, and they were fighting over his inheritance, and they wouldn't listen to reason, and they were fighting, and Patrick tries to get them to listen, and they don't, so he turns them to stone until they listen, and they begin to appreciate each other's differences, and they're best friends forever. The second story is about a guy named Eugene, and he was very wealthy, but he was also very ugly, and because he was so ugly, nothing made him happy, and he wanted a new face, and he begged Patrick for a new face. And Patrick asked him, what kind of face do you want? So he points at his handsome bookkeeper. And he goes to sleep. And when he wakes up, the two are basically twins. You couldn't tell them apart, but by their beards. And Eugene becomes a follower of Patrick, and he becomes very happy for the rest of his days. And these are the kind of stories that are just typical when you're looking up and doing research and stuff on St. Patrick. You come across things that you know for 100% fact did not happen. And these are two of the most tame stories that we have. Now, most of the actual information we have about St. Patrick comes from two sources his confession, and a letter that he wrote. And by his confession, he means more of a spiritual bearing of his soul more than a tell-all kind of book where he's confessing some one great sin, basically, that we would think about. It's much more in the style of the Confessions of St. Augustine. He wrote his confession when he was very old, after he'd already retired to the first monastery that he started. And so his ministry at this point had already taken off. He'd had great results. And there were a lot of rumors that had been circulating about him on the main continent, not Ireland itself, necessarily. And so he writes the confession in answer to their insults. And we're not really sure exactly what it was they were saying, but whatever it is, it prompts him responding with his Christian ministry, his testimony, and things like that about him. And that's where we get most of the things we know about St. Patrick. He was born in the 5th century in Roman Britain, most likely in Wales, and he was born as Maywin Suckett. He didn't actually become Patrick or actually Patricius until after becoming a priest much, much later in his life. He was born into a noble family, and he really didn't have a good handle on Latin, and we know this because he wrote his confession in Latin, and he was very insecure about writing his confession because he knew he wasn't as learned as the other men of his class, and he just didn't sound as great as they did. And even people who translated his confession and who actually went back and read it in its original form commented on how rough it was, and so it wasn't like he was being self-deprecating or unnecessarily harsh on himself. He was being realistic about his handle on Latin. And it's actually kind of unusual because at the time period, noble families would have spoken Latin in the home. 
And it was the commoners, like the slaves and the servants and such, that would speak more the Welsh, whatever the other language of the country was. So his inability to speak Latin proficiently remains kind of a mystery. We don't really know. Uh, But we know he was taken by raiders to Ireland when he was 16 years old, and he spent six years lonely and isolated as a shepherd. And he has kind of an interesting perspective on it. He says this, he says, I did not indeed know the true God, and I was taken into captivity in Ireland with many thousands of people, according to our deserts. For quite drawn away from God, we did not keep his precepts, nor were we obedient to our priests who used to remind us of our salvation. And the Lord brought down on us the fury of his being and scattered us among the nations, even to the ends of the earth where I, in my smallness, am now to be found among foreigners. And it was during this time that he says he came to faith, and he said he prayed a hundred times during the day and just as many at night. Initially forced his relationship with God because he spent so many days and nights out cold and lonely by himself. Because as a shepherd, he didn't really have a lot of people that he would spend time around, and so he spent most of his time by himself, so it was really just him and God a lot of the time. Now one night he has a dream that a ship was waiting to take him home, and so he gets up the next morning and immediately travels 200 miles to the coast. And he says he was entirely unworried the entire time he was going, which is pretty extraordinary because I can't imagine what the punishment would have been if he had been caught as an escaped slave. I think that would be pretty harsh, but he seemed to know that this was God speaking to him, so he left and wasn't worried about it. And when he gets to the coast, there's this captain in the ship that's waiting, and he tries to procure the ship to take him over back to the main continent, and they laughed him away. And he goes back to the inn that he was staying in. And as soon as he's heading back, the sailor calls him back and is like, hey, hey, it's okay. You can come with us. We don't mean it. And once they reach the continent, it takes them 28 days as they travel inland, seeing absolutely nobody. There's no food. There's nothing, which is really strange. And they didn't expect this because as they're traveling, they begin to starve. And so they definitely weren't expecting to be without food for so long. He doesn't say this, but it's possible this was the year 407 when the Germans had come through and had devastated a lot of France. And so they weren't expecting to be without food because they didn't expect France to be so utterly devastated. And so after 28 days, everyone's close to death. And the captain taunts him and he says this. He says, why is it, Christian, you say your God is great and all-powerful, then why can you not pray for us? For we may perish of hunger. It is unlikely indeed that we shall ever see another human being. In fact, I said to him confidently, be converted by faith with all your heart to my Lord God, because nothing is impossible for him so that today he will send food for you on your road until you be sated, because everywhere he abounds. And right as he finishes praying, there's this herd of pigs that appears before them, and everybody is able to eat, and nobody dies, ends up being a happy story. It takes him a few years to get back to his home, and it could have been because he was enslaved again. It's kind of hard to say. He's mentioned something about it in his autobiography, but it's not entirely definitive. So it's possible, but we don't really know for sure. But once he arrives home, his family is obviously overjoyed. They never thought they'd see him again. So this was obviously an amazing moment for them. And his mother makes him promise never to leave the house again. And of course, he doesn't want to. And he hasn't been at home for very long when he has this dream. And it's very much a Macedonian call, very similar to the Apostle Paul, honestly. He says, I saw a man coming, as it were, from Ireland. His name was Victorious, and he carried many letters. And he gave me one of them. I read the heading, The Voice of the Irish. As I began the letter, I imagined in that moment that I heard the voice of those very people who were near the wood, which is beside the western sea, and they cried out as with one voice, We appeal to you, holy servant boy, to come and walk among us. Almost immediately, he takes off for a monastery near Cannes, France, where he studies for 15 years. And the day before his ordination, he confesses a sin to a friend that he had committed when he was 15 years old. And this confession comes back to haunt him later because it's one of the things that is being used against him on the mainland that causes him to write his confession, although we never know what it is. Now, after he becomes a bishop, the Pope sends missionaries to Ireland, and the Pope chooses Palladius, 
And Patrick is very disappointed because obviously this was his entire life goal was to go to Ireland. But Palladius doesn't do very well. He actually isn't there for very long. There are two possible things that happened to him. One, he never made it over. Two, he was there for a very short time and got kicked out. So either way, he was out and the Pope sends in Patrick. And Patrick's mission was to minister to the existing Christians that were there and to Christianize the rest of the island. So there were a few Christians who were already existing in Ireland, although we don't really know where they came from, how many there were. Obviously, it was very sparse because there wasn't a culture of Christianity there. But we do know they were there, if only in small pockets. Patrick is very unique in that he's actually one of the first missionaries to venture outside of the Greco-Roman rule or influence. And he becomes one of the first true missionaries to barbarians. And Ireland at the time is very pagan in the truest and most authentic meaning of the word. But who better to minister to them than someone who knows the language and knows the culture? In this confession, he writes, If I have any worth, it is to live my life for God so as to teach these people, even though some of them still look down on me. I am a slave in Christ to this faraway people for the indescribable glory of everlasting life, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And he writes these things after having spent a lifetime of ministry among these people that he first came to as a slave, then escaped, and then comes back because God told him to, and he lives as a servant not only to them, but to the gospel and to Christ. And it's a very powerful story. It's a very powerful image. And about his actual ministry, we don't really know a whole lot about the specifics of how he did things. We know that he set up bishops within local kingdoms, which is a very Roman thing to do, and it worked really well. He had great success, mostly in the northern part of Ireland. Most of the southern part of Ireland remained pagan for much longer. We know that he was in prison several times, and he clashed a lot with the Druid, which is to be expected. And he's actually the first person that we know of who stood very strongly against slavery. In fact, we won't hear a voice so strong against slavery for another thousand years or so. And what's really cool is that actually a few years after he died, or a few years before he died, the slave trade and slavery is officially banished in Ireland, due in part to the Christianization of the island. Now as Rome begins to crumble, marauders become more and more frequent, piracy comes back into fashion, and Patrick has a very serious grievance with a particular pirate named Caroticus. And Caroticus had invaded Ireland and had killed or enslaved thousands of Christians, while as Patrick says, the chrism or baptismal oil was still gleaming on their foreheads. And after they were taken, Patrick had sent a delegation of priests up to him to plead for their immediate release, but they were laughed out of the court and sent back home. And so Patrick writes this letter, and he's very angry, and he's also very heartbroken. He's literally torn in two over the lost lives and the imprisonment of his fellow Christians. And one of the problems were that the Christians in Britain didn't care about Irish Christians because they didn't think they were really Christians because they weren't Roman. And in fact, because they weren't Roman, they were less than human. Therefore, their lives meant absolutely nothing. And they actually kept the same company as Croaticus, and they had no problem with him. And so in his letter, Patrick addresses this and gives them a very scathing rebuke and also a very, very heartfelt, very sad letter demanding the release of his converts. He says in part, Because of all this, my voice is raised in sorrow and mourning. O oh, my most beautiful, my beloved brethren and my sons, whom I begot in Christ, I have lost count of your number. What can I do to help you now? I am not worthy to come to the help of God or men. We have been so overwhelmed by the wickedness of unjust men, and as if we have been made outsiders. They find it unacceptable that we are Irish. But it says, Is it not true that you all have but one God? Why then have you, each of you, abandoned your own neighbor? And then he writes specifically about his converts, and he says, And therefore I grieve for you, how I mourn for you, you who are so dear to me. But again I can rejoice within my heart, not for nothing have I labored, neither has my exile been in vain. 
And if this wicked deed so horrible, so unutterable, had to happen, thanks be to God as men believing and baptized, you have left this world behind for paradise. I can see you all clearly. You have set out for where there is no more night, no more lament, neither death. There your hearts will leap like calves let free from the tether, and you will trample down the wicked underfoot, and they will be like dust under your feet. Therefore you will reign with the apostles and the prophets and all the martyrs. And we have no idea what happened. We don't know if they got set free. We don't even know if the letter itself made it to Caroticus. We just don't know. But what we can see throughout this letter is that his heart for these people, he actually identifies himself with the Irish. He no longer sees himself as Roman or distinct from them or different in any way. He sees himself exactly as they are because he sees himself as a father to them. And he considers them his children, these converts he has made, brothers and sisters in Christ, but also as a father figure leading them on in the faith. And he grieves as a father grieves for his children. And that comes through so strongly on this letter. And I encourage you to read it. And I'll actually attach it in the description of this episode so that if you want to, you can go back and read it. And like I said, I highly encourage you to. I think this gives you a whole new understanding and appreciation, Patrick, that you don't get otherwise. In fact, he goes from being forcibly enslaved to not feeling as though he's even worthy to have found favor among these people. He says, And I was not worthy, nor was I such that the Lord should grant his humble servant this, that after hardships and such great trials, after captivity, after many years, he should give me so much favor in these people, a thing which in the time of my youth I had neither hoped for nor imagined. There are so many missionaries and evangelists and other notable Christians that have come out of Ireland. We have C.S. Lewis, Amy Carmichael, J. Edwin Orr, and so many others. And after Rome fell in 476, it was the Irish monks that were hidden away in the monasteries that Patrick had helped found, who meticulously copied manuscripts of Greek and Latin writers, both pagan and Christian, while libraries and learning on the European continent were totally lost forever. Were there no monks, it's not a far cry to say that there would be no Western civilization everything would have been forgotten. I've left a couple links in the description where you can find his confession and his letter to Caroticus if you want to hear more about Patrick's story in his own words. If you enjoyed this episode, please dash over and leave a five-star on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and spread the word. Thanks for listening to Martyrs and Missionaries. I'm Elise. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.